0: I've never really given my testimony um, in this environment, and so I want to, a little bit today, talk about where God kind of saved me from. Um, I think it will create some context for where we're going. Um, Growing up, for me, being good was extremely important. I grew up in a home where my parents had Christian values, and so they taught me uh, the words of Scripture, and I think they did a really good job at it. When I think about myself um, and how I want to raise my own kids, I think if I can do half as well as my parents did, I think I'll be doing okay. Um, So my parents taught me about Jesus from the very beginning. They they entered us into a program called Awana at one point. And Awana is memorizing scripture verses. Um, There was a problem, though, with Awana, and as things, as you'll see in my story, kind of go forward, that Awana Mm rewards memorizing verses with badges. And what essentially happened to me was that I started to see that I needed to do good things in order to receive a reward. And that what I did defined then who I was. And so being good was incredibly important. And and what I became to realize is like I needed to live my life for God. And if I lived my life for God, and if I did everything that would obey him, then he'd look at me and he'd accept me more. But then if I did bad things, then he would disprove of me less. Now, if you understand the gospel, you'll, you'll know that that is like a bit of a faulty worldview, that what I do leads to who I am. But it's also the way that our world believes, that um, if you are an athlete, then your only value to the world is that you are an athlete. That is your full and formal identity. As we've talked about before, if you find your identity in temporal things, your identity is temporal. For example, if you find your identity in your family, what's going to happen if anything were to happen to your family, your entire world would be rocked. If your identity is in the eternal, then it supersedes the temporal things, and your identity will be forever. But growing up for me, my identity was found in the fact that I could do good things, perform, and therefore have looked down upon me. People would look on me and say, this person is of value. Uh, growing up for me, church was not who we are. Church is where we went. And so because church became something of a place that I went, I had a place in which I was able to perform. And I would try to volunteer at everything that I could so that I could, again, manage um, my own self-image. Christianity was something I did. It was not who I was. It was behavior modification at its best. Not, there was no sense of, like, spending time alone with Jesus. There was no sense of doing daily devotions. It was, I'd rather be out there doing something for God or something for somebody rather than spending time getting to know him and growing in this relationship with him. And so, very quickly, Christianity in my worldview became this religion of things that I did. And I had friends, and it was the exact same thing. And very quickly, my friends started turning the ways and going the ways of what the world said was a lot more fun. Because, in all honesty, if my identity was coming from the things that I did, that's not a lot of fun because that's very much religion based. Do this, receive this reward. And so, my friends started seeing, well, whoa, uh, hold on a second here. This way of life isn't very fun. I bet you that way of life is going to be a lot better. Because if what I did equals who I was, well, this stuff's a lot more fun, and therefore I can have this sort of identity. And I eventually decided that I'm going to go to Christian University, once again, another check mark on my Matt Did Good list, uh, thinking that I could become a youth pastor and then encourage other kids to go and do more good. Because we're just a bunch of Christians, a bunch of do-gooders. And so I went away to school, and in my very first week in my frosh week, this would be that time where God really slammed me in the face. And he's, he, uh, we were sitting there in like this frosh week, and frosh week at secular university is very different than frosh week in Christian university. Uh, you, you do not have, keggers, have keg stands and all of these different things. Um, you do not get painted purple if you're an engineer, although that seemed pretty fun. Um, no, you go to like a retreat center and you get taught the word of God and you, you did like youth style <laughs> games. Um, like capture the flag and stuff like that. And then you, you tried to find like the perfect match for your description soulmate that you were going to find at university. So a lot of people ended up spending $10,000 um, for a girlfriend, not for much else if you go to Christian college or whatever. So anyways, and fiancé and wife, which I guess is valuable. So anyways, I'm there, and I'm sitting in the row in the seats, and uh, at one point our dean of students, who became one of my mentors, said to all of us, okay, everybody, I want you to go and spend half an hour alone with God. And some of you have heard this story before, but I remember sitting there going, what the heck am I going to do for the next half an hour? Because I learned a lot of how I could perform for other people, but I knew at that point that I couldn't perform for God. And so people started, like, filtering out of this chapel, and I saw one guy playing his guitar in front of a tree and singing worship songs to God, and I was like, definitely not going to do that. I saw another person, like, in the field, like, praying like this, and I was like, I'm definitely not going to do that. And I went to my room, and uh, my roommate and I were, it was a bunk bed situation, and I was on the bottom, which was a double, he got the single up top, but he didn't seem to mind. Um, And I'm lying there, and he's on his bunk, and I think he was having a nap, and I was like, I think I want to have a nap too, but at the same time, I felt like God said to me, he said, Matt, you know a lot about me, but you don't actually know me. Your identity is defined in what you do for me and not in what I've done for you. You understand and you memorize all these verses, but you have no idea how these verses actually interact with the road that I'm pulling you on. You want to go tell and teach youth, youth and young people about me, but you have no idea what it actually means to live and have a relationship with me. And it was like this complete, like, I, I honestly, I felt so embarrassed. So embarrassed before the maker of the world going mad. You've you've had everything handed to you as far as like a Christian knowledge. But yet you've been, in essence, like you haven't really understood it. And so what's interesting about that is that if we focus on like our fact that like we try to behavior modify who we are rather than figuring out our identity and who we've been saved to and then live out of that all we're doing for people is changing their behavior, their hearts will remain unchanged. we kind of understand that? Like, if Christianity is only about, like, we're just going to change and modify your behavior, then people will only do that as long as they can actually feel like they're in control of modifying it. And they'll only do it as long as that seems like the best option. Otherwise, they'll start doing something else because it seems like a lot. It's kind of the way that I describe this at some points is that like when Andre and I started dating, if I had initially started dating her and wasn't actually interested in her, I was more interested in what I just had to do for her. Very quickly our relationship would get old and I'd want to get out of it because, well, I'm feeling like enchained and enslaved in this relationship because I don't actually care much for you. But as soon as my identity and my focus on the inside changed that I love this woman, with everything that is with, that is inside of me, and therefore that love produces this desire to do things with her. Right? That makes complete sense, right? And as our relationship grew, you're willing to sacrifice more stuff and more things and more aspects of your life in order to fulfill the love that is inside you for this other person. But when we often talk about Christianity and when the church in the past, as I would say, is very good at saying, do this... This is the way it's to be done, but we aren't a lot focusing on the identity in which we've been saved. And so today what I want to focus on is that very thing. Because we ask the question, what is the church? Or what is church? A lot of us, the very first thing that comes to our minds is what the church does. But we don't think about who the church is. And if we have been created um, in the image of God, and I'm just going to kind of... use this as a, as a way of helping us illustrate this. If we are created in the image of God, right? In the last two weeks, we've studied creation, and God says, I'm going to create man in our image, and in the image of God, he created them, which means that uh, God is saying right off the bat, I'm not one, I'm three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If we've been created in the image of God, then that is to sort of, in essence, define that what we are to do. Right? You don't start with what the church does. You focus on what the church is and what is the church. Now if I were to exactly poll us this morning and, and as you guys know, sometimes I go and teach workshops and i did this last weekend for three and a half hours I, I taught a worship, workshop on what the church is and what it's to do. And this is a church that's model and method right now of reaching people for Jesus is come to our hour and a half long service and then we'll see you next week. And that's the way much of what the church is right now. And so when I solicited answers to this question, when you're in groups, we solicit these answers. What is the church? Okay, well, the church is an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. A church puts on good services. A, a church has a band on a Sunday morning. The church um, has small groups every now and then. The church does this. The church does that. And then I ask the question again. Well, who is the church? What is she? What is the identity that she has? Because we're just focusing on the stuff that we do. So it's the same way of saying, what is a Christian? We focus on what a Christian does. And if it's always does, we're never going to be. So this is another way of explaining it. How you think and what you believe affects how you live and you act. Right? It doesn't go the other way around. Like, when I do something, that's in essence a direct correlation with what I believe. Right? So if I do not treat Andrea well in my actions, that is a direct correlation to what I'm essentially thinking or believing in my head about our relationship or about myself. If I am not willing, and we're going to transition, if I am someone that's not a generous person in my actions or in what I do, then that shows that in my mind, either I'm stingy in my mind, that I maybe don't believe that God will actually provide for me because I don't actually feel that if if I give all of that I have away, then I'm not going to have enough, and so I don't trust that God will actually provide for me. So our actions follow what we believe. It doesn't go the other way around. And in the same way our identities and who we believe God has made us to be affects what then we do. So, when you guys are doing life with one another in missional communities, and somebody does something that you're like, whoa, that was like way off base, you're going to go, well, I wonder how they think. Like, I wonder what they believe. And it's probably very obvious about what they believe. So, already in this message, I've defined that, okay, so how we think and what we believe needs to then affect, will affect directly what we do. And also that the church for a long time is defined by an hour and a half on a Sunday morning in activity, but rather than who it is. And for order for us to figure out what the church is, we need to figure out who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I want you to follow me. This is a really helpful diagram. Um, Our identity as a people is founded on who God is and what he has done. So in order to figure out who we are, we have to start with who God is. Who is God? The first thing that we find out about God is that God is a father. God is a father. And what has the father done? The Father is a, has created us in His image, and then He adopts us as His children. Ephesians 1 says that He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He chose us. He saw you. He loves you. And when He adopts you, it means that you have been chosen. When you have kids, you don't choose your kids. When you adopt, you choose a child. God chose you, the maker of the universe, above all creation, who created all of the beautiful things that you see, the things that make you freaked out when you stand on the edge of a cliff and look over. God is over that. That God adopted you as his child. This means that when you were adopted into a family, your name is changed. So some of us deal with weight of like, I have a really bad upbringing. When you come to know Jesus... You have a new name. You have a new family heritage. My name is now Matt, son of the Most High God. What it means is that you receive an inheritance. If if you were to, if your parents were to die, you would receive the inheritance from your family if there is one to be had. In the same way, God as our Father, we receive an inheritance from Him. What He gave us through His Son Jesus Christ. So therefore, God adopts us. He chose us. Like, this is enormous. That now I'm a child of God, and I have a father that loves me. Some of you guys are parents, and you have children. And you know how much you care, and how much you love, and how much you would give anything for that child. I'm about to experience that myself. When that baby comes out, there's going to be something. I hear from everybody. Something switches in your mind. Just like that is mine and I will do whatever it takes to provide and love and give even of myself, my own body for this person. That's crazy. And that's how the Father God sees you. That you are his child whom he loves, who he's given everything for, his very own son. So who does this mean that we are? We are now part of the family of God. So when we're trying to figure out then, okay, who what is who is the church, should it be any different than who we are to be? Of course not. We are now the family of God. So number one, the church is a family that loves one another, that does life with one another, that's part of a community with one another. I heard of a person recently who was in their church and they welcomed somebody who came into the church and said, Hello, Sister Mary. And Mary said, You're not my brother. Don't, don't say that to me. And this person was like, what? We are part of the same family. We have been adopted into the family of God, and he is our father. And we share the same inheritance. We are the same, part of the same family. And the shame in that is, it's a, is that if she doesn't want to be his brother now, she probably won't want to be his brother for all of time and eternity. <laughs> right? If he doesn't want it now, she probably doesn't want it then. She has no idea what she is missing. What this means for us as a church is that when we come in here on a Sunday, and when we're doing life together in the week, we are a family that loves and cares and serves. Some of us don't have good family backgrounds. And so what this means is that we can help redefine for you what a healthy family is. If you can't put yourself down or lay yourself down for somebody else who's part of the church, or the church of your apartment, part of, then you're not really willing to sacrifice for the family. This has been one of like the hardest things for me to wrap my mind around because some of you and people out there are very difficult to deal with. But if I were to see my neighbor, the single woman who's got addictions, if I were to see her as my mom, how would I treat her? If I see the people that live across the street from me, like my grandmother, how would I treat them? If I were to see the children that are running around as, as my brothers or sisters or my own child, how would I treat them? This is the way that it is to be in the church. This is the identity of God as Father and what he has done in giving us our identity that we are the family of God. The next thing we have is who is God? He's the Holy Spirit. And what has the Holy Spirit done? He enables us with love and power to be witnesses of the gospel. The greatest lie that you can ever believe about yourself is that you are alone. That you're doing it all on your own. In the scriptures we read, to go to Acts 1.8, that we are sent out by the power of the Holy Spirit. That God himself, if you put your faith and trust in him, gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit that is now inside of you and sends you and goes with you. Some of us have maybe thought and said, I have never heard God speak to me. If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, I guarantee you, there are things that you have thought that were not originally from you. The Holy Spirit is there speaking to you. So who does this mean that we are? It means that we are then missionaries. The Holy Spirit sent Jesus, and the Holy Spirit sends us. And now we have become missionaries who take the message of Jesus and the gospel to the world that is around us. It's part of our identity that we are a missionary. Missionaries are not just people that go to Africa or go to Peru or go to these other places. You and I, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, are a missionary to this world that we live in. If I were to get us to get into like smaller groups today and say, hey, you've got to go and plant a church, or you've got to go and tell people in Uganda about Jesus, I want you to come up with like helpful, practical ways that you're going to do this. How are you, you're going to land on the ground in Uganda, going to share the message of Jesus with people? And if your initial thought is, I'm just going to go and do it, you're wrong right away. You're going, to, you're going to sit there and you're going to do some culture study. You're going to figure out what, what jives with the people in Uganda? What sort of music do the people in Uganda like? Where do these people hang out? Where is their cultural center? You're going to figure out all of these cultural ways to study this new culture that you've been dropped into. So then, you know, we were to start soliciting answers and I would ask the question, the challenging one, maybe at that point. Do you realize that we are in a culture that is very cross cultural to the one that God has called us to, part of His kingdom? So what should change then from the ways in which you talked about, we're going to study the culture over there, we're going to study the people over there, we're going to find out all about those over there, and then we'll be able to know what they're like. It's the exact same way here. You can take the exact same methods that you think about sharing the gospel in Uganda, and you can use them here. We're called, we're missionaries, to share What's going on? To figure out what's, how does our culture think and how do we speak into the culture in which we live? Where does our culture hang out? What do they get excited about? And then speaking into that culture. It's amazing how creative we can be about taking the message of the gospel to other places but our own places in which we're, we're placed. It's like on your street what gets the people in your street excited? This is why Andre and I got chickens. <laughs> Right, like when Andre first said, "Hey Matt, like we should get chickens," I was like, I, "There's nothing inside of me that desires getting a bunch of chickens." Now, like I'm the chicken guy. I love these chickens. I mean, they are stinky. They squawk a lot, but like they're great. Like seven eggs a day is amazing. Like we our fridge is filled with eggs right now because Aaron did. My <laughs> brother Aaron, he lives with us. He ate like four eggs a day, so we didn't have like an ample amount. Now Aaron's not there. It's just Andre and I, eat two a day, and then the rest is just plenty. And then we go and give them to our neighbors. It's amazing. And our neighbors have chickens, too. So you would not believe how many conversations are started with, how are your chickens doing? <laughs> That's a way that we've plugged in. It's a way we've dropped into our culture, though, because we have not been saved just to like sit in our houses and watch Netflix all day. You've been saved, you're now a missionary, sent by the Holy Spirit. If you're not using the Holy Spirit that is inside of you, if you're not doing what he has called you to do, then he's a waste inside of you. You are sent by the Holy Spirit. Your identity is a missionary because we serve a missionary God. Because what did God do at the very beginning once we rebelled against him? He came to us. It's really like Genesis, like humor, that it says, and God walked around in the garden it was like, where are you? God knew where they were. Let's not kid ourselves. He knew where they were. He's a missionary. And then God could have given up on them the next things that happen, the next sin, the next thing, the next thing. But God continues to send his people to the culture to call them out. And then he says, well, you know, why don't I just actually send my own son, Jesus, who will be a missionary. They'll actually show these people how to do it because they're not doing it on their own. So he sends his son Jesus, who is then the sacrifice brings us back in a right relationship with God. Which leads us to the next one. Who is God? Jesus the son. And what did Jesus the son do? He came to us as the right image of God and leads us to become the same. He shows us what it means to live in this world, to serve this world. And so at the end of the day, we become disciples. We become disciples of the King Jesus. The word disciple means a learner, a follower. And Jesus came to this earth, and in those days, disciples chose their rabbis. The rabbi would kind of start his rabbi life, and people would be like, I'm going to follow that one. Jesus does it completely different. Again, following the identity of his father, he goes and chooses his disciples. Like, that was, like, culturally crazy that Jesus would walk up to these fishermen and say, Hey guys, I want you to come follow me, we're not going to be like fishers of men. Okay, you're choosing. That's amazing, right? He chooses you. You're part of his family, and then he calls you to be disciples of Jesus, and disciples of Jesus. What did they do? They learn more about Jesus. They learn how he lived, and then we try to do the same with the people that are around us. So if we're to return back to the original illustration that I showed us, this means that because we've been saved into this identity, that The Father means that we are now a family. The Son means that we are now disciples. And the Holy Spirit now means that we are missionaries. So, how do we then at Church of the Word define what the church is? We believe that we are the family of God on the mission of God, making disciples of Jesus. In other words, you could say, What is the church? The church is a family of missionary disciples. Now, let me just like kind of review this. As I said before, if you were to go and ask the people in that we live around, that are living around us, and say, Hey, what's the church? It's something like Grandma did, super boring, not interested. Imagine if you were able to say back to them, Well, let me tell you about what I believe God calls this church to be, who he's created us to be. The church is a family. Now, I know that you maybe you don't have a good family, but we believe that we can have a healthy family with one another, that we love and serve one another, that we're there for each other when it matters, that we're not just willing to do our lives alone, secluded from the world that is around us, but we want to do it together. We're a family. then we're missionaries, we believe that we're called to love and serve the people that live around us, because there's a lot of needs in our world, and we believe that as a church, we've been saved to actually do that. It's part of who we are. Oh, and then, by the way, we are also disciples of Jesus, meaning we love Jesus, we're all about him, we want to figure out how he did it, and then do it ourselves. That's the church. Oh! Like, that is so much more traction and value to people than, like, two hours on a Sunday morning with something that's not very fun. And as we've talked about in weeks past, if the church is solely an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, it takes the power out of the hands of the people, puts it into the hands of a select few, and it's also a gospel problem. It's that said Jesus died for this hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And I think Jesus died for 24-7 life. So that we could be a family on the mission of God, making disciples of our King Jesus. That's what the church is. And so then once you have to start figuring out then, that now that we have our identity, we know who we are, Therefore, how are we then going to be this family in the world? But the church starts from, well, we better start this service. We didn't start our first service till January, but we were the church since September. And on Sundays when we say, we don't need to gather today, we don't. The church is still the church. When I do these workshops, I tell people, we'll skip a Sunday every now and then because it doesn't affect the life of our church. What do you mean? If we didn't have a Sunday, like, people would go to other churches, then they'd start going to that, their churches. And then we wouldn't get our offering for that week, so then we wouldn't know how to, like, function financially for the next week. And I'm like, then you've got your mind, like, deceived about what the church is. Because the church is 24-7. We are a family on the mission of God making disciples of Jesus. We're a family of missionary disciples. And so then, now that we have our identity, as I said, then we can figure out what we're going to do. And we just believe that the most effective way to be the church is to be in communities that we call missional communities. Communities of people following Jesus together in their neighborhoods. Right? Like, what if you Christians over there huddled up and, like, loved Jesus and served the neighborhood around you and had family meals together? Wow, that could be effective. And then what if you guys over there did the same thing? Like, why would we want you traveling 40 minutes to get here to do dinner? Like, just walk down the street for five minutes and make it there? Like, it's amazing. The last church I worked at, like, I mean, I I loved my time there. I learned so much. But one morning I was sitting there in the auditorium with 800 people. And I just thought in my head, I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if everybody of these 800 people, if we just like in the middle of like, the service right now said, okay, we're just going like, to pause. I want everybody that lives in the south end of the city to go over there. I want everybody that lives on the east side of the city to go over there. I want everybody that lives on this side of the city to go over here. Okay, now I want you guys to pray with one another about your neighborhoods, and I want you to start hanging out together in your neighborhood. At one point I actually suggested, i we ever thought about maybe doing small groups geographically, like saying you guys do small groups over here together. Well, yeah, we tried that, but nobody showed up. What a shame. God cares. He's placed you in your neighborhood. He's placed you in your home. If you've got a mortgage, if you pay rent, like if God owns all that we have, and he sees that you're paying half of what you make on your mortgage or on your rent, do you not think that he would then care about where you're placed? that half of your resources are going to where you live. So if, if half of your resources is going where you live and he owns everything, then you're spending half of his resources on where you live. Should you not take that more seriously? Probably. If the greatest area of your debt is where you live, and God owns it all. Then he cares about you're paying off that debt, where you live. Like when you start seeing it through that lens, like for a lot of people, I'll talk about this with folks and they're like, that makes so much sense it does. The church is a family of missionary disciples. They've been saved from something into something else. To be a family. To be missionaries to one another. To be disciples of Jesus. Now in case you're still like, I don't know like, how this works. I'm going to show you right now how the model in which Church of the Lord functions is the model in which Jesus did, lived his life here on this earth. The first thing, we have the outer rim, which is Jesus and the seventy which I would say is like Jesus in the reunion, right? Jesus had these 70 people that were kind of in and out, kind of followed him, but were faithful to him, right? This is Jesus in the 70, which I would say is the missional gathering or the missional church, our, our version of reunions. If you go a little bit smaller, Jesus had Jesus and the 12, which I would say is Jesus' missional community. These are the people that he said, come follow me, and he did life with them. He talked about the parables with them. He revealed to them the secrets of the kingdom. This is Jesus functioning in a life of a missional community. What we have is a community of people on mission together, traveling, doing life together, life on life. And then we have Jesus in the trifecta, which was Peter, James, and John, in which Jesus revealed even more things to about himself. And so we call that our DNA. This is when our groups that are already in the missional community. Notice Jesus didn't go get some of the other 70 and say, hey, you over there, come be part of the trifecta with me. No, he selected people from his missional community of the 12 and said, we're going to even spend even more time together. We're going to go deep. Like I'm sure Jesus exposed like parts of how he was weak and things like this to them. Like obviously, I can't imagine the DNA with Jesus because in our DNA we confess our sins to each other. Jesus never sinned, so like that would be awful, right? I mean, sweet because you're, you're uh, sweet because you're with Jesus, like Son of God. But like he never sat there and went, yeah, like struggled with lust this week. Like, yeah, that was that was rough. Like, no, like he, he never had to do anything. But imagine like the life giving things and then like the transfiguration. Like, can you imagine being there with Jesus? Like, that's amazing. Like, that was a, probably a crazy DNA night. But anyways, Jesus is in a trifecta. He's the DNA. And then Jesus himself was a missionary. What this means is for you and I, is that as we follow Jesus, Jesus was a missionary, traveled took the message of the good news, the gospel, around to all these different cities. You are still expected. You can't say, well, my missional community is doing great things. No, like, you're still expected to be a missionary yourself. This is kind of, can be like your family, where you are on your street. You're expecting to do that life together. The family unit, those of you that have kids, almost becomes its own missional community, engaging with people around you. But Jesus was himself a missionary. So we would say that in this way, we are following the way of Jesus, that we have the missional un- union, which is like, or the reunion, which is our missional church. We have then Jesus in the 12, which is a missional community, with Jesus in the trifecta, which is a DNA, and Jesus himself as a missionary. Um, and then part of that this is getting a little bit more practical like stepping down from the theology of it we believe in what we would call threefold evangelism Um, and Jeff and I, Jeff Hesselink we've been reading this book called Total Church and when he talks about three-fold evangelism he means this this is the effective way to be missionaries and disciples of Jesus number one, you build relationships with people you just hang out and a lot of us are really good at building relationships with people and keep that up some of us aren't you need to get better at it Jesus built relationships with people The other thing is welcoming people into community. So welcoming people into your missional communities and dinner nights, saying, hey, come be part of it. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Now, we all think about that. We're like, oh, it's an individual, I've always got to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Yes, definitely. But remember, 1 Peter is written to a group and to a community of people. So therefore, the world, when they're examining our community, should go, I want to know what the reason for the hope that is within that group of people over there. Boom. And then thirdly, share the gospel with people. Now, I'll show you how this kind of gets out of whack. If you're only building relationships with people, you're going to be scared to share the gospel with them. That's why we would say some of us know what a rope looks like, and a rope has like strands that are evenly put together so it's like a stronger rope. In the same way evangelism, in this sense, is the same way. You have to build relationships, share the gospel, and welcome people into community. As I said, if you're only building relationships, you're going to be scared of sharing the gospel. If you're only sharing the gospel, you're not going to have a lot of relationships, and you're going to be seen as a very smug, difficult human being. If you're only welcoming people into community, you'll have a lot of good parties, but you won't have a lot of disciples of Jesus. And some of us know this. We can say, I went way too far in that relationship without sharing the gospel. And now I'm scared that if I share the gospel with them, they won't actually, like, stay in a relationship with me. And some of us can say, I was part of this small group, and, like, we just had a lot of great parties, but, like, none of us really were following Jesus all that securely. And then all of us can talk about how, man, I was sharing the gospel, but, like, everyone walked away from me. Uh, (laughs) Like, the people that are on, like, the milk cartons on the streets, right? Like, the stuff they're sharing, for the most part, is true, but they're just doing it in a really bad way. Right, So building relationships, welcoming people into community, sharing the gospel. This is why I believe the missional community is the most effective way of doing it. Why? Because every time you have a family dinner night, we're encouraging you to pray. Share the gospel right in that prayer time. Welcome people into community for dinner. At the same time, you are also building relationships. So this is kind of the way that God calls us. To share, to to show Jesus with people. And then otherwise others of us can probably share stories about times in which we did do it this way and how God produced some fruit. Right? That it just made sense. Oh yeah, building relationships, sharing, walking people, community, like sharing the gospel. At the end of the day, guys, this is what it's all about. Right? Naomi was talking to me just before we started today. Someone asked her, like, what's your church all about? I'm so proud of it that she just said it's all about Jesus. Right. The other night I was with Trish, and somebody asked her, "What's church in the world?" And she started just talking about her missional community, and a couple of us were there with her. And she said, "See, these are the people here that are part of my missional community, part of my family here to support and love me." And talked about like getting together in smaller groups and doing DNA, sharing our lives, lives with each other, doing potlucks, eating together because we love eating. Jesus did it a lot too. If you can't read the gospels, as I've talked about before, and say Jesus didn't like to eat, like he's constantly up for a free meal with people. <laughs> so we're up for it too. I'm just so excited that we in this place are able to be the church in this way. Now, you have to hear me. I'm not antiing the way other churches do things. If they're being faithful to the identities in which they've been called, that they're being a family of missionary disciples and they're doing what they believe is the most effective way to do that, then do it. I just think we can be super effective if we do it this way we're not just looking for converts, people that say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and then don't live like him the rest of the week. We're looking for disciples of Jesus. And you can't be a disciple of Jesus and be a good one outside of a missional community. I don't think so. Try to do life alone. <clears throat> when you're in a missional community, they for- you're forced to get better. You're forced to confront the stuff in your life that just isn't going well, or the blind spots in life. And you do life with each other. You can lean on each other. You're not alone anymore. So this is what the church is. It's a family of missionary disciples. We are a family on the mission of God. Once again, making disciples of Jesus. That's what Church of the Word is. I hope you're excited about it. I know I'm pumped up about it. And you have to hear me. Growing up for me, as you can tell, this wasn't the understanding of church that I had. That doesn't mean your understanding of church can't change. And then God saw fit to use me to plant one in this way. Like, isn't that crazy how God does that? He takes this legalistic, frustrated person the gospel wasn't affecting on the inside and says, I'm going to use this person eventually to plant a church. It's going to be different. You know what's exciting about Church the Word? People that don't believe in Jesus think this is, like, the best thing ever. They're like, that makes so much sense because they're already, like, they don't ever face the awkwardness of, well, what am I going to do with my neighbor? Like, some, what am I going to do when my neighbor comes over, invites me over, and they ask me if I want a beer? Like, I believe that the Bible says there's nothing inherently wrong with drinking alcohol. It's how much you drink that, that the Bible speaks about. So go over, like, if, if you just have chose not to, don't. And don't get weird about it. But our neighbors, they don't get weird about, what am I going to do when I invite the Christian over? Like, oh, is that going to be weird? They don't think like that. They're just like, we're just going to have my neighbor over. We're going to hang out. The Christians on the other side are getting all insecure. Don't be insecure. Love Jesus. It's all that it's about. So as i talked about, like, Non-Christian, or people that don't believe in Jesus about this, like they're like, that makes so much sense. It's the Christians that go, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's, there's far too much commitment there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Try to follow Jesus without it. Good luck. So, guys, I'm just so excited. I'm so proud of each and every single one of you that have said, Church of the Word's my family. And every time you talk about this church, I hope that you talk about the fact that we're a family. One last story, and then we'll end. Um, little Matt Julie's son um, I'm his big brother and one day he told his teacher at school she said he said uh, I'm going to have a new brother or sister born in June and the teacher was like "Uh, okay called Julie that night and said hey I hear congratulations are in order you're going to have a baby in June and she was like no I'm not going to have a baby in June and she's like, "Well, your son thinks that you are, so maybe get that one figured out." She's like, "Oh, I get it. There's some people in our church family that are having a baby, and he's due in June." Little Matt, as a six-year-old kid, was already thinking about the other kids in his church as his church family, as his brothers and as his sisters. That is crazy. And if we can teach the next generation of people that the church is a family of missionary disciples, wow. Because I've heard some of you guys as parents talk about how your kid's talking about going to church or that you only, they only connect with God when you're at church. Let's slap that in the face because that's not the gospel. That's not what we've been saved for. Church is not a place we go and perform. Church is a place we go and be ourselves because we're okay to be there and do that. The family of missionary disciples. Let's pray, and then we don't have any songs to close us off today, but let's just take some time to spend some time together. Uh, as we do every week, please help pack up. There's already been a lot of people here since 8.30 this morning kind of started setting up, so let's all do our part in cleaning and packing up. And, uh, yeah, if you're part of the missional community, you haven't gone through the primer yet, there's primers back there, which is our four of our missional communities, really signing on to membership part of Church of the ward and figuring this whole mission thing out for the next year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for using us. I thank you, God, that you saved us to be a family of missionary disciples. I thank you that you've adopted us. I thank you, Jesus, that you show us how to be your hands and feet in the world. And I thank you, Jesus, that for your Holy Spirit, that when we leave this place, we don't go out alone, that you're with us all the way. You're inside of us so that our thoughts, we can't even trust them as our own, that they might be yours. So may we listen to that voice that is inside of us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. May we see that this expression this morning, God, is just one small, teeny, tiny part of what Church of the Lord really is. And I thank you for our missional communities. Continue to encourage and equip them. Pray this in your name. Amen.